Chapter 7 of Boots and Saddles, or Life in Dakota with General Custer, by Elizabeth Custer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. Chapter 7 Adventures During the Last Days of the March. My husband and I kept up our little detours by ourselves as we neared the hour for camping each day one day one of the officers accompanied us we left the higher ground to go down by the water and have the luxury of wandering through the cottonwood trees that sometimes fringed the river for several miles as usual we had a number of dogs leaping and racing around us two of them started a deer and the general bounded after them encouraging the others with his voice to follow he had left his friend with me and we rode leisurely along to see that the younger dogs did not get lost without the least warning in the dead stillness of that desolate spot we suddenly came upon a group of young indian warriors seated in their motionless way in the underbrush i became perfectly cold and numb with terror my danger in connection with the indians was twofold I was in peril from death or capture by the savages, and liable to be killed by my own friends to prevent my capture. During the five years I had been with the regiment in Kansas, I had marched many hundred miles. Sometimes I had to join my husband going across a dangerous country, and the exposure from Indians all those years had been constant. I had been a subject of conversation among the officers, being the only woman who, as a rule, followed the regiment, and without discussing it much in my presence, the universal understanding was that anyone having me in charge in an emergency where there was imminent danger of my capture should shoot me instantly. While I knew that I was defended by strong hands and brave hearts, the thought of the double danger always flashed into my mind when we were in jeopardy if time could have been measured by sensations a cycle seemed to have passed in those few seconds the indians snatched up their guns leaped from their ponies and prepared for attack the officer with me was perfectly calm spoke to them coolly without a change of voice and rode quickly beside me telling me to advance. My horse reared violently at first sight of the Indians and started to run. Gladly would I have put him to his mettle then, except for the instinct of obedience, which anyone following a regiment acquires in all that pertains to military directions. The general was just visible ascending a bluff beyond, to avoid showing fear when every nerve is strung to its utmost and your heart leaps into your throat requires superhuman effort i managed to check my horse and did not scream no amount of telling over to myself what i had been told that all the tribes on this side were peaceable and that only those on the other side of the river were warlike could quell the throbbing of my pulse indians were indians to me and i knew well that it was a matter of no time to cross and recross on their little 
tub-like boats that shoot madly down the tide what made me sure that these warriors whom we had just met were from the fighting bands was the recollection of some significant signs we had come upon in the road a few days previous stakes had been set in the ground with bits of red flannel peculiarly fastened on them this the guide explained meant warnings from the tribes at war to frighten us from any further advance into their country whether because of the coolness of the officer or because the warriors knew the size of the advancing column we were allowed to proceed unharmed how interminable the distance seemed to where the general awaited us unconscious of what we had encountered i was lifted out of the saddle a very limp and unconscious thing encouraged by references to other dangers i had lived through without flinching i mounted again and closely followed the leader he took us through some rough country where the ambitious horses finding that by bending their heads they could squeeze through forgot to seek openings high enough to admit those sitting in the saddle we crashed through underbrush and i with habit torn and hand scratched was sometimes almost lifted up absalom like by the resisting branches often we had no path and the general's horse vic would start straight up steep banks after we had forded streams it never occurred to his rider until after the ascent was made and a faint voice arose from the valley that all horses would not do willingly what his thoroughbred did he finally turned to look back and tell me how to manage my horse i abandoned the bridle when we came to those ascents and wound my hands in the horse's mane to keep from sliding entirely off while the animal took his own way all this was such variety and excitement i was delighted and forgot my terror of the morning we found a bit of lovely road which only those who go hundreds of miles under a blazing sun can appreciate fully the sunshine came flickering down through the branches of the trees and covered the short grass with checkered light and shade here we dawdled and enjoyed looking up at the patches of blue sky through great grown-up treetops it was like a bit of woods at home where i never thought to be grateful for foliage but took it as a matter of course my husband remembered my having put some biscuit in the leather pocket of my saddle and at once invited himself to luncheon we dismounted and threw ourselves on the ground to eat the very frugal fare after resting we gave ourselves the privilege of a swift gallop over the stretch of smooth ground before us we were laughing and talking so busily i never noticed the surroundings until i found we were almost in the midst of an indian village quite hidden under a bluff my heart literally stood still i watched the general furtively he was as usual perfectly unmoved and yet he well knew that this was the country where it was hardly considered that the indian was overburdened with hospitality 
oh how i wished ourselves safely with the column now so far away there were but few occupants of the village but they glowered and growled and i could see the venomous glances they cast on us as i meekly followed i trembled so i could barely keep my seat as we slowly advanced for the general even slackened his speed to demonstrate to them i suppose that we felt ourselves perfectly at home he said how of course which was his usual salutation to them and echoing how beside him proved that i still had power of utterance when we came to one indian who looked menacingly at us and doggedly stood in our road the officer with us declared that i accompanied my how with a salaam so deep that it bent my head down to the pommel of my saddle at all events i meant if politeness would propitiate not to be deficient in that quality at such a critical moment in a few moments which seemed however a lifetime we saw the reason why the village appeared so empty men women and children had gone nearly to the top of the bluff and there with their bodies hidden were looking off at a faint cloud of dust in the distance my husband appreciating my terror quickly assured me it was the seventh cavalry even then what a stretch of country it seemed between us and that blessed veil of sand through which we perceived dimly that succor was at hand my horse was rather given to snuggling and pressed so against the general that he made his leg very uncomfortable sometimes but then in my terror it seemed to me an ocean of space was dividing us i longed for the old puritan days when a wife rode on a pillion behind her liege as a matter of course i found courage to look back at last the bluff was crowned with little irregularities so still they seemed like tufts of grass or stones they represented many pairs of bead-like eyes that peered over the country at the advancing troops the next day the general thought i might rather not go with him than run the risk of such frights but i well knew there was something far worse than fears for my own personal safety it is infinitely worse to be left behind a prey to all the horrors of imagining what may be happening to one we love you slowly eat your heart out with anxiety and to endure such suspense is simply the hardest of all trials that come to the soldier's wife i gladly consented to be taken along every day but there never seemed a time when it was not necessary to get accustomed to some new terror however it is only the getting used to it that is so bad it is the unexpected things that require fresh relays of courage when a woman has come out of danger she is too utterly a coward by nature not to dread enduring the same thing again but it is something to know that she is equal to it even though she may tremble and grow faint in anticipation having once been through it she can count on rising to the situation when the hour actually comes.
the rattlesnakes were so numerous on this march that all texas and kansas experience seemed to dwarf in contrast my horse was over sixteen hands high but i would gladly have exchanged him for a camelopard when i rode suddenly almost upon a snake coiled in the grass and looked down into the eyes of the upraised head we counted those we encountered in one day's journey until we were tired the men became very expert and systematic in clearing the camp of these reptiles if we halted at night in the underbrush they cut and tore away the reeds and grass and began at once to beat the ground and kill the snakes when i say that as many as forty were killed in one night some literal person may ask if i actually saw the bodies of all those lately slain it is not an exaggerated story however and one only needs to see hundreds of men pounding and clearing such a place to realize that many snakes could be disposed of in a short time after that when the ground was selected for our camp in the low part of the valley i was loath to lie down and sleep until the soldiers had come up to prepare the ground my husband used to indulge this little prejudice of mine against making my head a reproduction of medusa's and we often sought the high ground for a rest until the command came up the guide rode often at the head of the column and we found him full of information about the country we began also to listen for a new domestic disclosure every time we approached an indian village he was the most married of any man i ever saw for in every tribe he had a wife still this superfluity did not burden him for the ceremony of tying a marital knot in the far west is simple and the wives support themselves sometimes he gave us new points about making ourselves comfortable in camp one day i was very grateful to him we were far in advance of the wagon train containing the tents the sun was scorching not a tree nor a clump of bushes was near in a brief time however the guide had returned from the stream where he had cut some willow saplings sticking them in the ground he made what he called a wiki up he wove the ends loosely together on top and over this oval cover he threw the saddle blankets there was just room enough to crawl into this oven-like place but it was an escape from the heat of the sun and i was soon asleep after i emerged the general took my place when he had taken his nap the dogs crept in so a very grateful family thanked the guide for teaching us that new device the bends in the missouri river are sometimes so long that the steamer with supplies would have to make a journey of sixty miles while we had perhaps only five to march across the peninsula all the soldiers officers servants teamsters and other citizen employees took that time to wash their clothes for we were two days in camp the creek on which we halted was lined with bending figures their arms moving vigorously back and forth as they wrung out each article later on the camp looked like an animated laundry 
from every tent rope and bush floated the apparel i had only a small valise with my summer's outfit but mary had soon taken out our few things and around the kitchen tent was suspended the family linen as soon as this was dry she folded and pressed it as best she could and laid it between the mattresses as a substitute for ironing all the way up the river the guide was constantly interviewed concerning the chances for fishing he held out promises that were to be realized upon reaching choctaw creek we arrived there on one of the resting days and camp was no sooner made and food and water brought than a great exodus took place the general called me to the tent door to see the deserted camp and we wondered how the soldiers could all have disappeared so quickly another problem was where the fishing tackle came from some had brought rods even in the restricted space allotted them but many cut them from the bushes along the river attaching hooks and lines while some bent pins and tied them to strings the soldiers shared so generously with one another that one pole was loaned about while the idle ones watched i never cared for fishing but my husband begged me to go with him always and i carried my book and work i sat under a bush near him which he covered with a shawl to protect me from the sun and there we stayed for hours officers and men competed alike for the best places by the quiet pools the general could hardly pay attention to his line he was so interested in watching the men and enjoying their pleasure his keen sense of the ludicrous took in the comical figures as far as we could see in cramped and uncomfortable positions with earnest eyes fixed steadily in one place for hours they nearly fell into the water with excitement if they chanced to draw out a tiny fish the other men came from all along the bank to observe if any one was successful one of the men near us was a member of the band he was a perfect reproduction of the old prince of isaac walton the fixedness of his gaze his whole soul in his eyes while he was utterly unconscious of anyone's being near was too much for the general's equanimity he put his head under the canopy made by my shawl not daring to laugh aloud for fear he might be heard by the man and said it was more fun to see that soldier fish than to hear him play on the violin no wonder the men enjoyed the sport for even those little bull fish fairly gritty from the muddy water in which they lived were a great addition to their pork and hardtack fare for once the sun overcame me and i knew the ignominy of being compelled to own that i was dizzy and faint i had not been long in military life before i was as much ashamed of being ill as if i had been a real soldier the troops pride themselves on being invulnerable to bodily ailments i was obliged to submit to being helped back to camp and in the cool of the evening watched the return of the fishers who were as proud of the strings of ugly little things they carried as if they had been pickerel or bass then the blue flame and soft smoke began to ascend from the evening fires 
and the odor of the frying supper rose on the air in my indolent weak condition i never knew how i was able to perform such agile pirouettes as i did but hearing a peculiar sound i looked down and saw a huge rattlesnake gliding toward me i had long ago learned to suppress shrieks but i forgot all such self-control then how i wished myself the indian baby we had seen the day before the veritable baby in the treetop for it was tied by buckskin thongs to a limb there i thought i could rest in peace the snake was soon dispatched the men had left camp so hurriedly in the morning that the usual beating of the ground was omitted and so i had this unwelcome visitor when we camped near a village the indians soon appeared groups of half a dozen on ponies with children running after would come the ponies were most of them dull and sway-backed it was no wonder for i have seen four persons on one pony an indian and three half-grown boys no horse could keep its shape loaded down as those of the indians usually are with game and property these visitors grew to be great trials for they were inveterate beggars one day an old indian called the man with the broken ear came riding in elaborately decorated and on a shapely pony he demanded to see the chief the general appeared assisted him to dismount and seated him in my camp chair the savage leaned back in a grand sort of manner and calmly surveyed us all i was soon in agonies of anxiety for colonel tom and the young officers lounging near entered the tent they bowed low took the hand of the old fellow with profound deference and smiling benignly addressed him in just as suave a voice as if their words had been genuine flattery they said you confounded old galoot why are you here begging and thieving when your wretched old hands are hardly dry from some murder and your miserable mouth still red from eating the heart of your enemy each one saluted him and each vied with the other in pouring forth a tirade of forcible expletives to which he bowed in acknowledgment and shook hands my terror was that he might understand for we often found these people as cunning as foxes sitting stolid and stupid pretending not to know a word while they understood the gist of much that was said the officers gave this chief tobacco perique i think it is called and so strong that even though i was accustomed to all kinds i rather avoided the odor of it we had no whiskey but if we had kept it the general obeyed the law of the reservation too strictly to allow it to be given away however he was called to the office tent for a few moments and in a trice one of the others had emptied the alcohol from the spirit lamp and offered the cup to the distinguished guest putting the great square of perique into his mouth with a biscuit besides he washed it all down with gulps of the burning fluid his eyes heretofore dull sparkled at the sight of the fire-water the officers said how and he replied how this did not surprise me for that one word is the indian toast and all tribes know it 
but my breath almost went out of my body when they asked him if he would have more and he replied you bet i was sure then that he had understood all the railing speeches and that he would plan a revenge loud cries of laughter greeted his reply but matching their cunning against his they eventually found that he knew no more english he had learned these words without understanding their meaning at the trader's store on the reservation he waited around in the tent hoping for more alcohol until i was weary of the sight of him but i was too much afraid of him limp as he then was to look bored finally he was lifted out a tumbled up disorganized heap of drooping feathers trailing blanket and demoralized legs when once however one drunken old foot was lifted over the pony for him he swung himself into the saddle and though swaying uncertainly he managed to ride away during the last days of our march we came upon another premonitory warning from the indians a pole was found stuck in the trail before us with a red flag to which were fastened locks of hair it was a challenge and when interpreted meant that if we persisted in advancing the hostiles were ready to meet the soldiers and fight them the officers paid little attention to this but my heart was like lead for days afterward we encamped that night near what the indians call medicine rock my husband and i walked out to see it it was a large stone showing on the flat surface the impress of hands and feet made ages ago before the clay was petrified the indians had tied bags of their herb medicine on poles around the rock believing that virtue would enter into articles left in the vicinity of this proof of the marvels or miracles of the great spirit tin cans spoons and forks that they had bought at the agency on account of the brightness of the metal were left there as offerings to an unseen god everything pertaining to the indians was new and interesting to me while we were in kansas the tribes were at war and we had not the opportunity to see their daily life as we did while passing through the sioux reservations on the march i regretted each day that brought us nearer to the conclusion of our journey for though i had been frightened by the indians and though we had encountered cold storms and rough life the pleasures of the trip overbalanced the discomforts. End of chapter 7